Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. KMOX is at your service. Welcome to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Now, here's your host, Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, welcome, and thanks for stopping by. And before Mr. Kelly gets out of here, your wife just texted you? Yeah, she just texted me, and she says she's going to pull a couple of romantic cards from the used pile... And I can use one of those. We've been together so long now, I don't remember them anyway. <laughs> there you go. Thank you. So I'll do that. I'll get home and, and do a little card reshopping. And next year, <laughs> just go ahead and spend the extra bucks on yeah, a good card. Exactly. Oh, well. Uh, life Ain't is strange. sweet. Yes. <laughs> Walking down the street. <laughs> <laughs> Folks, thanks for stopping by. We'll be taking a good gardening stroll shortly. 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Questions, comments, or concerns. Saturday mornings, we get together to discuss your yard, your landscape, your garden, your house plants, potting mixes, what to do with your soils. Should you be pruning now? Is there any bugs out there? How about the diseases? How about plant removal or plant installation? Remember my words, open opportunities. After that, it's going to take mental and physical work on your part in this marathon. This is your show, and I certainly appreciate you being here. Thanks to Greg. Again, he's producing. I don't know how many weeks in a row this is, but it's been quite a few. I'm Mike Miller. I've been hosting the Garden Hotline since 1994. Almost 25 years? Oh, my goodness gracious. I was only 45 when I started this. Hmm. I've written five gardening books. Two are currently available at various locations. Also, I write articles for Missouri Gardener Magazine. And during the week, I do landscape consulting, which I call walk and talks. So if you'd be interested in a walk and talk where there's problem solving, aesthetic values, and or whatever, you can go to my website, www.mikemillerdesigns.com. The homepage, there's my email address and phone number. And I can be reached. Today, I'm headed out to Lake St. Louis after this show. So today's Good Gardening Stroll is brought to you by St. Louis Composting, 636-861-3344. I decided today to do a tour de yard as the daylight length decreases. Though temperatures are well above normal, plants are still heading towards bedtime, winter dormancy. Some continue to refuse to stop. Like uh, the purple cone flowers. I've got some along the alley, between my garage and the alley. And a new clump came up a few days ago, uh, probably, I shouldn't say a few days, uh, probably a week plus ago, and it put out a new flower head. This late in the season, the ones that had already bloomed, they have turned brown. The seed heads offering for the birds. Lemon verbena in the bed, ooh, the foliage still has great fragrance. Sweet alyssum, I have that, both the white and purple, in multiple sites in my landscape. Though the flowering is still looking very good, the foliage doesn't look so good, but uh, the fragrance is kind of gone. So that's a little bit depressing because that's why they call it sweet alyssum. And uh, 
boy, oh boy. Gold Moss Sedum and Yellow Money Wart. That's a, both are ground covers. Some places I have them mixed together. And uh, they're looking pretty good, except in one spot, not so good, right at the base of a couple maple trees. Heisen Bean Vine in the front and backyard. Little new growth this time of year. But boy, oh boy, those purple pea pods from those flowers being pollinated by all kinds of different things, mainly bees and butterflies. It seems like they both love that particular flower. Really, I mean, uh, it looks kind of wild. I've already had chopped off a bunch of them because there were so many, but thousands, well, I shouldn't say thousands, multiple hundreds of pea pods. And uh, I'll tell you the most exciting thing, vine-wise, is the moonflower vine. It took it a long time to get to sort of like going but consequently, it is really striking. When I get up in the morning, usually I take my pre-dawn walk. Uh, there's so many. There's probably a dozen or so flowers open, and these flowers are pure white, and they're six plus inches across. And I mean, it can catch your eye. Uh, Tracy's Mandevilla vine, which I bought her right outside the bedroom window, red flowers. It's still flowering very, very nicely as well. So. so Lower leaves on the cannas are starting to yellow. Hmm. Means they're headed towards dormancy. Elephant ears, cocktail, and angel wing begonias. They say, who cares? We are doing very, very well. I have four different varieties of sweet potato vines. They're all show, also showing no signs of slowing down. My Aunt Cleo gave me a kaffir lily when I first moved back to St. Louis from California. And I've still got uh, two big pots of them. She only gave me one bulb way back when, but uh, they keep going and going and going. The foliage looks very, very good. The flowering is orange, and that was a couple months ago. And uh, they do ask, when are we going to be moved inside? Because they're a little worried, but the weather's okay, so I'm not going to move them in yet. Orange purslane highlights the ornamental fall kale and cabbages. I have a whole bunch of old gourds that I have dried and I have them sitting, uh, sitting on a bed of river rock. And the color's almost the same, so hmm, I'm going to have to do something to make a little bit more of a contrast. Mugo pine is dropping the interior needles onto hosta ferns and purple uh, coral bells below. Knockout roses, this is the last great flush of the year. The boxwood, the Leland cypress, ready to dominate the view. My zoysia is browning. The sugar maples are starting to ch change colors, and one of them is really dropping already quite a few leaves. So, in other words, fall is in the air, even though it doesn't feel like it. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Once again, here's Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, 314 Four three six seven nine hundred or one eight hundred nine two five eleven twenty. I love the outdoors. I like working on my landscape. I like just being outside. But I have to limit myself. I only work on Wednesdays and Saturdays in the outdoors. So this past Wednesday, even though that my zoysia, as I said during the introduction, my good gardening stroll is going dormant. I mean, you can see the brownness to it and everything else. I really watered it well because I want that root system to be well hydrated, you know, whenever the cold weather, if it does come. If it doesn't come, the plants, you know, the zoysia is still going to go dormant, and the root system soil needs to be hydrated. So you're hydrating or you're watering not only for your plant material, but you're also doing it for all the, let's say, living microorganisms in your soil. 
because if it gets too dry, they die, and you know that soil is what is responsible for feeding your plants. So, I mean, plants can't do really do it on their own. They need some help with the soils. So that is really crucial. So water, water, water. And I might even, you know, if it stays as warm as they're predicting in the mid-80s all the way up until next week, mid-next week, I might have to water again. This time of year, you just don't think about having to water zoysia, but, you know, because usually we've had some rain and it's not quite as windy, and that's dehydrating lots of different things. Let's head to Jacksonville, Illinois, and go into Mary's yard. Mary, how are you today? Hello, Mary. Mary. Morning. Good morning. Yeah, listen, I have a hydrangea question, and I'm sure you have answered it before. As a matter of fact, you might have even answered it on your garden stroll. I was on the phone, but here it is. Um, I have three hydrangea bushes. They are in three different sections of my yard. Um, they are varying ages, but, oh, five, six, eight years I've had them in, and they've bloomed in the past. But for the last couple of years, they haven't bloomed until now. So I have two hydrangea bushes loaded with blooms, but I think by frost time, um, they'll maybe be blooming by then, but that's it. So my point is, they haven't bloomed until very late in the summer. Uh, basically, it's just, you know, it could be weather-related. It could be variety-related. It could be a combination of both. Even though historically they've bloomed earlier, I've you've been surprised at how many hydrangeas I have actually seen. And this is not the oak leaf hydrangea. These are the ones with the roundish leaves, I'm assuming. I've seen right. some, some of the blues and some of the pinks. You know, in full flower now, and normally you think of them blooming much earlier. So... A lot of things in nature have just gotten out of sequence, and it, I'd have to think it's weather-related as much as anything. So just enjoy it because sometimes it's wonderful to have them blooming, let's say, in the spring or early summer. But there's so much going on flower-wise to have them blooming this time of year. That's kind of a plus, you know, from my perspective. Well, I agree, and I'd love to have them blooming now, but the bud, they're just budding, so I don't think they'll be, be in bloom. Oh, so they're not it's even in, the flowers are not open, huh? No. Ooh, that's not so good. Oh. Uh, what about fertilizing? Um, fertilizing, I mean, use, use an acid-based fertilizer. Fertilizer is not necessarily going to change the blooming sequence, so I just think they got sort of knocked off, you know, schedule by, you know, the weather, and there's not anything you can do about that. Well, I, I was afraid of that. But anyway, wanted to check in and uh, appreciate your information and enjoy your show. Thanks well, so much. Well, thanks for having me on your show. Let's come back from Jacksonville, Illinois, and go out to St. Charles into William's yard. Hi, William. Uh, good morning, everyone. Hi, Mike. I hope you're well. Yes. Um, my question is this. Uh, I'm about a week or so away from digging up my elephant ears and my canna bulbs. And I've traditionally wrapped them in newspaper, put them in a box, and forgot about them for about four months. And this year I had about a third um, rot. Is there a better way to keep them for the winter? You had them rot after you dug them up? No, no, no. After I wrapped them and then unwrapped them for the spring. So in other words, during the wintertime they, they, they rotted? Yeah. So I would Is say... Just watch out when you dig them up. Just be careful that, and look at each one. 
carefully and make sure it doesn't have any bruises, any nicks or anything at all on it. Because generally, if they're in you know good solid shape, they shouldn't be rotting during the wintertime at all. Oh, I see. So, if, I but if they've been bruised, if they've been damaged one way or another, then that's you know that certainly can trigger some rot. Okay. Um, and that, and you said you grew some uh, um, uh, moonflowers. Yes. How's yours do? Fantastic. I mean, they're a little bit painful because I mean, I I have some of them on the let's say on a cyclone fence with the hydro, you know, the hyacinth bean vines. Hyacinth bean vines came up; they were already in flower, and the moonflowers were just really slow. They took a long time to get going, but now the hyacinth bean vines, you know, are starting to decline. But the moonflowers are just peaking, so this is working out perfectly. Oh, yeah. Well, I think next year I'm going to mix mine with uh, morning glories. Oh, that's a good idea. I've done that in the past, too. To cover the fence. You know? Right. So, um, I, in other words, you get the flowers, you know, whether you use the blues, you know, morning, you know, morning glories or not. You get them in the morning, and then you get the ones in the evening slash night. Exactly. Those, those flowers are as big as my hand. Absolutely. They're yeah. huge. I mean, I mean, they're just striking. They're, it's hard to walk by them without even, look, you know, sort of like ignoring them. It's just neat that they bloom in the evening. Right. You know, open up. And I just saw a hummingbird fly by. I guess he won't be around for much longer. Really? See, I don't. I haven't seen any for a couple weeks now. We were having several every day, but uh, it's probably been two or three weeks without any. Well, they love the cannas. Right. Something about the cannas. Right. Uh, but my cannas have really stopped flowering for the most part. I have probably, let's say... 20-plus stalks of cannas, and all, I think only two of them have, you know, adequate flowers on them right now. And, yeah, mine are getting to, to the point where they're almost spent. Right. So it's about time to get dug up. Right. All right. Well, thank you so very much. Have a great day. You do the very same thing. Let's go now to Nick, and Nick's in Sparta, Illinois. Hi, Nick. Hi. How are you doing today? Very good. Well, I enjoy this show, as always. Uh I've got a question in uh, in a paper. I've read a couple of things, and and uh, you know I've heard you talk about trees and replanting them and that. And uh, I was reading about out there what they're doing at the Muni uh, out there, and they said they were taking they're going to expand the stage, and they took down those big trees behind the stage. Right. And they say they're going to plant some more stuff in there. Uh, how do you think that's going to work out? <laughs> to be honest with you, uh, not very well. And, and you know, and I don't know if they're how much of the root system and everything else they're going to take out of the trees that they're removing. But that's what happens. Even if you grind the stump out, the root systems stay very, very active for a long period of time, and they compete with new plants. Now, if you put it up on a, the new plantings up on a berm or you elevate them some way or something along that line, but if they're in the, you know, any kind of proximity where the root systems of those trees were, they are going to have a, a bit of a difficult time. Okay. Well, I, I hope they listen to your show. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, maybe it's like I always say, mine is not the only garden path to follow. So they may have their own ideas and it may work out perfectly. But if I was, let's say, advising, I'd say, hmm, this is going to be a little bit iffy. Yeah. Uh, the other thing is I've, uh, this morning's paper had an article out here about Calvary uh, Cemetery. Where they've uh, they've got a, a plot of uh, 
what they say is natural prairie and virgin soil. Uh, I don't know if you're aware of that or anything like that, but, you know, I don't need to talk to you anymore about it. I'd just like to hear your comments. <laughs> well, that's nice. I mean, you know, Shell Nature Reserve has some, you know, native plots of, you know, plant materials, too. So there are several places throughout the metropolitan area. And, uh, I mean, native prairie plants, uh, they're not all that much striking, but you talk about low care. They are very low care. So thanks, Nick. And now let's go to Sally and Creve Court. Sally, how are you today? Hi. Good morning, Mike. How are you? Very good. Um, I have a question. Uh, I had some uh, a tree, a couple tree services come out to look at my trees. I have three pin oaks on the back of my lot, and um, thinking about getting them pruned up. And I just wanted um, to get bids and their opinions and such. Uh, both of them said that my trees looked a little stressed. These are mature oak trees. Right. They looked a little stressed and needed to be watered more. So I thought, okay, well, so I, I set the garden hose out, obviously, and I I watered last week, and then I watered again uh, last night or yesterday afternoon, and I noticed at the base of one of the oaks, it's about 40 years old, uh, that there are some mushrooms growing at right at the, you know, on the tree, but right at the base. And um, I looked up um, online this morning what causes that, and they said uh, that some sort of damage typically causes that. And this is, uh, these trees are in ivy beds, um, and they don't get mowed or anything like that. You know, they're they're completely surrounded by ivy. And it also said that these conchs or these mushrooms don't grow if it's in a dry environment. Well, how do I bridge that? I mean, the trees need water, uh, but I can't water them because it gets too wet. And what else might cause these conchs to grow? And what can I do to stop them from damaging my tree. I wouldn't worry about them growing, you know, the mushrooms growing on your trees. If the trees look healthy, if the foliage color is good, that's fine. Now, when you do water, though, watering up close to the trunk is not what you really want to do because that's not where the feeder roots that uptake moisture are. The feeder roots that uptake moisture are kind of at the perimeter. So, in other words, looks as far out as the branches go, straight down from there, that's where all the majority of the feeder roots are. So that's where you need to water, not up close to the trunk. Right. That is actually where I was watering. Uh, it was actually a grassy area that I was watering, but the edge of the sprinkler was hitting the base of the tree. I would say I wouldn't be worried about those things at all. As okay. long Again, my concern with generally the pin oaks is, as I look out our window right here into the park that's right behind Soldier's Memorial, there is an oak tree that is so yellowish and that means it's got some bad circumstances related to sulfur, related to iron, related to chemistry in the soil versus, you know, a moisture type circumstance. So we are actually ahead on the normal amount of rainfall that we ha- normally get. Now, there's been certainly dry periods and everything else, but a good, healthy tree should be able to withstand that. So to think that the trees were, you know, dry, I don't know exactly why they, you know, thought that that was the case, but if both of them said it, then that may be the case. But uh, again, still, I would be more concerned. I would get a soil test 
and find out what the soil pH is, find out what the nutrient level is on if these trees are very important. And again, forget the mushrooms. They're not all that important. You know, a few growing here or there doesn't mean all that much. Okay. And my last question, that's relieving, by the way. Um, my last question is I have uh, several uh, baby princess spireas in the back that um, are just a little straggly. You know, I, I plant them because they they are um, small and they have a nice natural shape. But some of them are getting a little straggly looking, and I was going to trim them back. Is that a problem? No, it's not a problem. Are they in the shade? Uh, no, okay. these are in the sun. Okay, so, I mean, you've got them in the best you know, you know, situation possible, but again, it may be nutrient-related if they're getting scraggly, and how old are these? Well, I, I don't mean straggly in that they're looking weak. What I mean is that their shape is getting a little out of shape, and I just wanted to shape them up a little bit. And these, these are about three years old. Yeah, so you can go ahead and prune them. There's no problem doing that whatsoever. Okay, thanks so much, Mike. Yep. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages. This is the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with your host, Mike Miller, on KMOX. Yes, folks, any questions, concerns, or comments, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. As I was talking about... There are some trees that are starting to turn some colors in our neighborhood. The sycamores in Christie Park right across the street, uh, they're actually giving a little bit of color this year. Usually they just kind of turn brown and the leaves drop. But this year they kind of have a yellowish cast to them. So that's kind of nice. The dogwood across the street and the neighbor's uh, strip between the sidewalk and street, it's turning bright red. And then up the street a little bit, there is a red maple, which is turning very, very nice and red. So there are, you know, sugar maples around our house, the three of them we have. Uh, the one that's dropping a lot of leaves, it's not giving much color. But the one that's straight out our kitchen window, if you look up to the top of the tree, it's starting to give that uh, yellow-orange that the sugar maples do. So we are going to have some fall color, and uh, hopefully it will be exciting. Russ lives in Frontenac. Russ, how are you today? I'm great. A couple of days ago, my daughter bought a gardenia called Summer Snow. And she was going to put it inside until she read the directions on the back of the card. And it says, expose your sun, height four to five feet, cold hardiness, minus 10 degrees to zero degrees Fahrenheit. And does that sound legitimate to you? I mean, in other words, you could plant this outside in our environment here in the, in the heat and everything. I have never heard of a gardenia that could survive outside. Maybe this is a variety. Like I say, I don't know everything by any means, but uh, that just seems a little bit abstract, to be honest. It does, yeah, it does to me too. And so I don't know what to what to do. What, you know, whether she was going to put it inside in the beginning until she read that, and then she said, "Well, maybe this will do well inside." I would say go online and look at it and see what they're saying there. Maybe this is a variety of gardenia that I don't know about, but I cannot imagine gar any kind of gardenia. I'm assuming in the outside, this variety, like most of the gardenia, is going to be evergreen. So, uh, oh boy, oh boy. I would just what? do a little bit more research before I stuck it outside. My tendency would be to bring it inside, and especially I don't know how large it is right now. Well, I don't know how to describe the height. I don't know. Is it like a, uh, a foot? Well, it's more than that, yeah. 
Okay, and so the, the leaves are just so beautiful, glossy. I mean, they're just fantastic. Right. You know, even if it never got flowers on it, it would be beautiful. Right. A lot of people, you know, get disappointed because they buy the gardenias, they bring them home, and even if they have buds on them, they may get one or two flowers, and it never flowers again. They are really, really difficult to get flower, you know, to get to flower inside. But uh, I would say this is, a, you know, a variety of gardenia that I do not know. I've never seen one, let's say, advertised as, you know, a variety that could be planted outside. You know, I, you know, when I'm doing my good gardening, or not good gardening strolls, but when I'm going to people for walk, you know, to their houses for walk and talks, if, I, if I'm early, I go past garden centers. A lot of times if I have, have extra time, I stop and wander around. I can never honestly say I've seen a variety of gardenia that can be planted outside. It says here, with over 10 years of development and test studies, summer snow was selected as the sturdiest, fast-growing, fastest-growing and hardiest. And anyway, supposedly it, they've tested it for the cold temperatures uh, in the winter. So I don't know. I, I'll do what you said and I'll look it up. But <laughs> I, I have a hard time believing it either. Yeah, I mean, it's just it's contrary to everything that I... But I mean, there there are plant hybridizers that are always constantly doing new things and different things, you know, to kind of expand our horizons. But uh, if I was going to do it, make sure that wherever she plants it, if she decides to do it outside, it's got to have a very acidic soil. So in other words, iron sulfur has to go into the ground, has to be very... Very well drained, I would assume, and uh, I would say I don't know about it being in the you know full sun. So yeah, I would say the other, thing it, the other thing it says here on the front of the you know the little plastic card that's in the front of it, says, right? Designed for high heat and humidity of summer. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, guess I, I can say th- anything these days. Yeah, <laughs> true. The best gardenias I've ever seen is when I was uh, in the Air Force in California and then went to school in California. That's the only place I've ever seen gardenias do well. I mean, there are some in Florida and other places, but that's the ideal environment for them as far as my knowledge goes. So I would say give it a try and see what happens. All right. Thank you very much. Certainly. (laughs) Yeah, that just does not seem exactly right. But uh, if questions or concerns, 314 436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. As I said before, the zoysia lawns are going dormant. So there hasn't been any elongation of the grass blades for a couple weeks. But I do mow so I can actually chop up and mulch the leaves that are falling off the trees. And then ultimately, you know, the sort of the nightmare that I have is when all the leaves in the park, you know, which is southwest of us, uh, starts falling and get on the ground, the prevailing winds will blow them into my yard, and I end up with huge amounts of leaves. It gets to the point where my mower can't even mulch them anymore. I have to rake them and put them in bags. But if you've got a cool season lawn, you still have time to do some work on it. So in other words, coeration, composting, seeding, all that other stuff, you should have, an, you know, even though it seems really, really late or starting to get late to be doing that type of thing, the ground is still really warm. So if you want to do that, also with the cool season lawns, make sure that they don't go, you know, get dehydrated either. So continue to water. So don't turn off your irrigation system or anything else. Let's head out to Wentzville and go into Shirley's yard. Hi, Shirley. Good morning, Mike. How are you? Very good. Uh, I have probably a silly question. I just bought a white dogwood, uh, and it was the only one there. The pot was half full of dirt, and it... They also had 
the pink dogwood, and those pots were full. Does that make it, it did they just tip it over and lose the dirt, or is it white dog dogwood? Um no, it needs the same amount of soil. So hopefully there's not, probably the wind blew it over, a bunch of it fell out, and they just kind of tipped it right back up, would be my okay. guess. Because, yeah, there, I mean, if the whole, if there was a lot of the root system exposed and everything else, that's not a good sign. But the, how did the foliage look? Did it look okay? No, the, the foliage looks fine, okay. but the, the trunk looks like it's been exposed, you know, like the rest of it. So it must have lost the dirt some time ago. Yeah, so, I mean, that's a bad sign, too. And also, I mean, a lot of times, days of old, they used to paint a dot on the trunks of trees. And that would be for the nurseries to be able to orient the trunk towards that. The dot would be facing the north because you can get, you know, you can get splitting of the bark and everything else if the north side of the bark is now suddenly exposed to the south. So just be really careful with the dogwood. It needs very, very well-drained soil. It needs a high organic soil, too. So the whole, you know, when it's planted, should be three times the diameter of the root ball. And uh, only about 80% is deep, though. So the top part of the root ball will be above the surrounding ground. Then mound some soil up, especially if there's exposed root systems. And then put about two to three inches of mulch over the top of the whole thing. Okay, the root isn't exposed. It just goes down. It just looks like it was planted in a half of half the pot of soil. Yeah, that's kind of. I I just hope I don't know how big is a pot. You do you have any idea? Uh, it's probably about eight inch. So that's kind of smallish, but it's still. Uh, hmm. I would be a, you know a little bit concerned about it just in general. But if the foliage looks good, they took you know adequate care of it. And uh, so just, you know, I would get it in the ground as soon as you possibly can. Because generally with the dogwoods, fall planting this year may make a whole lot of difference because of the way the weather is. But fall planting in dogwoods is not the best time of year because the freezing and thawing that we could experience can, you know, sort of prevent the root system from getting established. And then when we get really cold, then it could have some real damage to the root system. Okay, so I need, uh, when it gets colder, put quite a bit of mulch on top? Not a whole lot. No, too much mulch is not good. So, you know, two to three inches should be an adequate blanket. Okay. Okay, very good. Thank you. Yep, and with everybody, when you're planting any kind of woody plant material, don't pile the mulch up onto the bark of trees or anything else. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Once again, here's Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, and crucial in your outdoors is continue to mow your lawn, especially the cool season grasses, because they're going to keep growing. I don't know, maybe your zoysia is growing too, but you don't want those blades to elongate, because when we do, if we ever do, get rain, if the blades get too long, let's say above four or four and a half inches, they can mat down together and it could create a major fungus problem for you. Now, the funguses that happen this time of year are not as deadly as the summer funguses. But what they do is they just kind of weaken your lawn in certain areas. So then when, let's say, the adverse weather conditions get, let's say, worse and worse and worse, then that could just weaken the lawn more and more and more. And then when we get around to the time of year where the explosions of the really deadly funguses happen, 
that's you go, what is going on? So just watch out. Keep your grass mowed, and then certainly keep the leaves from piling up on them. I want to thank uh, two, do- two Doors Down Charlie. He came and actually blew a huge amount of leaves off our yard yesterday. So <laughs> the interesting thing is he blows them off our yard and his yard and the lady in between us, her yard too, and he blows them across the street back into the park. Now, the leaves that were in my yard were off my maple tree, so the park, he's paying the park back for, you take these leaves. So I hopefully they'll stay there and not come blowing back on my side. Let's go now to Decatur, Illinois, and see what's going on with Pat. Pat, how are you today? Well, great. Hey, I really enjoy listening to your program. been listening for several years on Saturday mornings. So great. I'm glad you're around. <laughs> Hey, I planted, uh, dug up uh, some old rose bushes that haven't done well. I get sun from sun up to sun down, and I put uh, knockout roses. When should I should I cut those back a little in uh, this this uh, fall? Uh, I like them bushy. You know, I want them high. You right. know, during the. So I've heard several. Oh no, don't do it. Oh yes, you need to cut them back. Uh, basically, it's kind of a personal choice as much as anything. I'm assuming they're really flushing right now. They oh, should yes. be full of blooms. Yes. So wait until, you know, don't do any kind of pruning until the foliage starts falling off. Because you want those rose hips, those little round things, to form where some of the flowers were. Now with knockout roses, it doesn't seem to happen as much as it does with the hybrid teas or the grand floors. But that, what it, those little rose hips... When the flowering is finished, why they call them hips, I don't exactly know, but they look like little green marbles. What that does is help the rose say, okay, now it's time for me to go dormant. Then it's up to you. If you want to prune going you know, into wintertime, you can. You don't have to. You can wait till you come out of wintertime and then cut off the, any kind of the stems that don't have any foliage on it or shape them up a little bit. But do that early in, the, let's say, the spring before the new growth starts or begins. Okay. Well, I appreciate it. You're the expert. I'm going to go with your advice. <laughs> Again, really enjoy your show. Well, thanks, and I, thanks. I learned a lot. Hey, real quick, uh, a weed, it's con- kind of like called buck something. Um, it's a, it's a, it grows in the grass. I've never had it before, and I see it around town. Uh, it, is, it is really hard to, uh, to kill. Um, I'm sure you will think about it after I hang up. I can't think, but it's some. It's got a name of Buck something. Hmm. And uh, now, is it a broadleaf, or does it look like a grassy type thing? No, it's a broadleaf. Yeah, maybe oh, buckthorn. That's it. How do you get rid? I ended up having, and I hated to do it because nothing else would work. Using Roundup just right in the center, and even then, it was tough. Right. Some of the weeds are really, really difficult, and some of them, you know, are kind of like hybridizing themselves, so they're, you know, becoming more resistant to some of the, let's say, herbicides that are routinely used. But you, you did the best thing you probably, you know, you should have done. Oh, I appreciate that. Thank you. Keep up the good work. Certainly, and thank you. Yeah, I have knockout roses, three of them. I had four, but one of them got rose rosette this summer, so that one... Whoosh, that one went away. <laughs> Actually, I threw it into the compost dumpster. Now, I don't know if I contaminated you know, future things. I doubt it. But anyway, so the three, I always bring them into the garage for the wintertime. But what I do, the ones in pots, they're really big and really heavy. So, you know, I'm going to be 70 next year, so I don't know how much longer I can move these crazy pots. But anyway, I take them, I cut them back severely, back to about uh, – 
15 to 18 inches. I bring them into the garage. I make sure they're not sitting on the garage floor. I have some plastics, let's say shelving, that I have them sitting up and shelving without less any kind of arm. So there's flat pretty much. There's only about two inches between the bottom of the pot and the garage floor. And uh, then what I do is I cover them because I want them in total darkness and uh, through the wintertime. And that's how I, you know, sort of winter them over. So thanks, Pat. And now let's go to Pam in Muscoota, Illinois. Hi, Pam. Hi, Mike. How you doing? It's Very so good. glad to hear. So glad to talk to you. Hey, I want to talk about the lady who called with the mushrooms around her oak trees. Right. Um, this time of year, there is a mushroom called mataki or hen in the woods. That is very common in this area, and it grows at the base of oak trees. Um, so she should, it might be that, and it might not. This is a clump kind of mushroom. Mm. It doesn't look like individual mushrooms that you buy at the store. Right. It's highly sought after. Uh, if you do any research on it, the Japanese think it even has anti-cancer Whoa. properties. Um, so I would caution anybody from destroying mushrooms at this time of year at the base <laughs> of the tree. And perhaps contacting the Missouri Mycological Society. Um, I would love to talk to the lady that called in and and see if that's what she's really got. But um, the other thing I would say is I've noticed this year I've gone to about four or five trees, big oak trees at parks, and the mushrooms aren't growing because they've sprayed around the tree and you can see the dead ring of grass. So when they do that, they're actually destroying something that other people may really be interested in eating. So anyway, just some information for you. Well, great. That's, I mean, I appreciate that because I have seen that mushroom for sale in stores. And also, you know, the fact that it grows on, you know, let's say related oak trees, it's like the morels growing related to the elm trees. So there are going to be specific type fungus or mushrooms that are related to one variety of tree versus another. Yes. And evidently these mushrooms come, their source is from deep in the ground along the root system of the oak trees. It's very fascinating if you look into it a little bit. Um, so again, I plead with people, please don't destroy them and please don't spray around your oak trees because you're damaging these mushrooms. Yeah. I, so. I always think mushrooms, you know, they're not all that problematic. You know, people no. always get into a panic with them, but uh, they're not really all that much trouble. Right. And if you look at the mataki, like I've actually harvested them, you know, most of the years of my life, they're not growing from the tree. They're actually coming in the, from the ground. Exactly. Right near the base of the tree. So right. anyway, if that lady would like to call me, I'd love to talk to her. Okay, great. Well, thanks, okay. Pam. And uh, let's go to Mike in Chesterfield. Mike, how are you? Um, I don't know. Uh, stink bugs, can you help me? I know it's not your total thing, but all of a sudden they're coming out a bunch of places and... I don't know if we're attracting them by some vegetation or something, but, man, they're all over. Yeah, they're prolific. In different places, right. Anything you can help on that? Basically, an insecticide is about all you can do, and the insecticide has a, you know, hit them directly. So that's, you know, kind of the problem. So, you know, whatever you want to use, if you want to use seven or anything else, but you got to shoot them at them directly. And I would try to get as many under control as you possibly can because if you don't, they're going to overwinter and the population next year has a chance to be even, you know, let's say wilder and worse. I mean, I've been killing tons of them, but for getting inside the house, man, that's Ooh. my wife is like not happy. <laughs> You know. so anyway, well, you can uh, you can understand. Right. <laughs> Thanks a lot. Yeah. And the reason why that's one thing people should be cautious about, you know, not only stink bugs, but all kinds of other insects as, the, you know, the, even though the weather is still warm, 
you know, the insects are realizing the days are getting shorter and a lot of them are going to start migrating into the houses. So underneath door jams and everything else, ways that we don't even think about bugs coming in. Actually, the other morning, I found a cockroach in my house. I couldn't believe it. But I squash that thing really quick. But, you know, it's just a question of they want to come in, but they want the protection, and they're going to start migrating in. So it's unfortunate. But, yeah, get as many killed outside as you possibly can, uh, Mike, and you're just going to have to go from that standpoint. I've been doing that, but my wife doesn't like it when they get in your hair. Okay, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I agree. So, uh, people, we got another hour to go with the Garden Hotline. So if you have any questions or concerns or take a look out your windows and see what might be something that you haven't even noticed until the last few days. So, Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline. See you after the news. KMOX is at your service. Welcome to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Now, here's your host, Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, welcome to the second hour of the Garden Hotline. I'll be giving you a tip of the trial shortly, but right now you can call 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. You get in line with your questions, comments, or concerns. Mr. Kelly, I don't know if you heard the caller, the last caller of last hour from Chesterfield, Mike, but he was saying he's never seen so many stink bugs. You came in here talking about stink bugs, too. <laughs> I did. Wow. Oh, man. A couple of years ago, it was ladybugs that were everywhere. Last year, it was those black and red box elder bugs. Right. And this year, it is stink bugs, and they are everywhere. I have to. This is kind of gross. But I go in the, like the back bathroom and turn the fan on, and you hear click, 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 and it's stink bugs. <laughs> Yeah, it's like, oh, get out of here. Right, because he was having trouble with them coming into his house. Yeah. They're trying to do the very same thing to you. Yeah. So, so uh, yeah, they're everywhere. Out on the back screen in ports, and I'll catch them and throw them out, and you know, get out of here. I don't want you in my house. And So you don't kill them? You no. Know, uh, sometimes I do. Do you? Yeah, but usually I just catch them and throw them out. <laughs> <laughs> They'll say, we'll be back. That's they, Yeah, they usually do, too. <laughs> Man, it's amazing. Well, great. Well, both sides of the river, because you live in Illinois, correct? That's right. Yeah, and then he's in Chesterfield, so stink bugs are all over the place. They are. They're they're taking over. (laughs) And that's not a welcome sight. No. Or or smell. smell. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, Brian. And thanks to you folks for having me on your show. You can give a call. We can talk about plant selections, the ups and downs and all arounds. How about your annuals? Some of them are still really, really looking good. How about your bulbs? It's you know, to me, it's a little bit too early to be planting your spring flowering bulbs. And I ordered my bulbs from uh, Brightside St. Louis. They haven't shipped them to me yet, so I couldn't even plant them if I wanted to. But uh, they should probably be here in the next couple of days. Your edibles, your ground covers, your house plants, your lawn, perennials, roses, trees, shrubs, vines, or water gardens. I'll share my thoughts. But please remember my answers, comments, and opinions is not the only garden path to take, but strictly offered for you to consider. Greg is producing, so he's the one who answers the phone. He pushes all the buttons, too. So when you when you call, Greg will answer. He'll ask your name and where you're calling from, and then you get on the computer screen. So during the week and as weekends, I do what I call a walk and talk, which is a landscape evaluation. Uh, today, after the show, I'm headed to Lake St. Louis, And what you can do is if you'd like to schedule a walk and talk at your home, an evaluation, you can go to my website, www.mikemillerdesigns.com on the homepage. My email and phone number is right there. So you can schedule one. I'll come to your home and uh, share 40 plus years of experience related to 
outdoors and plant material and everything else. Now, a special recognition for individual group or a situation that's made an impression on me is brought to you by St. Louis Composting, 636-861-3344. Today's tip of the trial goes to the Green Center. The Green Center is this really cool organization in University City. It's actually on BlackBerry. And uh, it's what they do is they do all kinds of really neat stuff. But the main focus is kind of get kids in the outdoors to get them, you know, to kind of understand what the outdoors is, younger kids. But also they do something in early November, November the 3rd this year. They have this huge fire or fall fire festival. And we've gone to it a couple times. It is absolutely fantastic. It's totally enjoyable. So there's food trucks there. There's everything else. There's all kinds of different things going on. But it's a huge bonfire kind of thing. I mean, it's just, it's really neat that time of year. And uh, so that's, this is at the Green Center. Then also at the Green Center for Kids, get your vitamin in. So that's going to be on October 9th. Leaf Art on October 16th. Uh, on Prairie Play, that's October 30th. Cooking with Pumpkin, that's November 6th. And these are for kids that are aged fourth to nine, or four years to nine years old. And uh, the programs are usually like four to five in the afternoon. So again, the Green Center, and that's on Blackberry Avenue in University City. So you can go to classes, C L A S S E S at thegreencenter.org for more information as well. So the Green Center, cool place, great place for kids, and great place for adults, especially with this Fire Fall Festival. So thanks to everybody for calling in. So you can continue to get online. Uh, why don't we take a call or two? Let's go to Tina from Cedar Hill. Hi, Tina. Hi. Um, I want you to talk to my husband. <laughs> Hello? Hi. Is this Mike? As far as I know, it is. Oh, hey, Mike. Hey, this is Tony in Cedar Hill. I've got a couple questions. I'm starting a berm, and I'm trying to plant some Leland cypress as a uh, hedge. Okay. Um, as far as the spacing goes on that, what do you recommend uh, we do for that? They, I mean, they get pretty big. So mm-hmm. width-wise and everything else. So I don't know, is this a windbreak or is this a screen for views or what are you trying uh, to use? It's more of a screen for views. Yeah, a little privacy area. Uh, probably, I would say, it just depends upon you know what you want to do and how long and everything else. But the, the one that I have, I grew it when we lived in Soulard for 14 years, or let's say 13 years, in a pot. Then when we moved to mm-hmm. South City, I put it in the ground. Now the thing is almost 20 feet high, and it's probably 11 feet wide. So okay. that's kind of what you're looking at. I don't know you know, if you want instant impact. The Leland Cypress is not, the, let's say, the ideal thing. But if you do plant it and decide to go with it, I probably wouldn't put them any closer than like you know, 12 or 15 feet apart. And don't put them in a straight line. Put them in a zigzag pattern. That way they'll have, you know, if you can use that extra space to do that, then that would make them so they could have, let's say, more area to be mature as far as, you know, width goes. Right. Okay, that sounds good. Uh, One other quick question. I have a bald cypress. It's getting uh, pretty big. It's uh, 25 feet tall and probably 15 feet diameter as far as not the trunk but the uh, the branches right can i go in there and trim off the bottom branches from the ground up say because they're 
they're down low. They're like uh, two feet off the ground. I right. have branches started. Yeah, basically that's called limbing up. So you could do that. I would wait. Uh, the, probably the needles haven't started dropping yet, but as soon as the needles drop, then you have all winter long that you can do that. Okay, and it's not a problem getting in there and just a couple inches from the trunk. No, don't leave it. Don't do a couple inches from the trunk. You know, if the branches are really long, cut them off in sections. Mm-hmm. But the last cut should be about any place between a quarter and a half inch. You don't want to okay, leave a stub. Great. All right, thanks, Mike. Yep, love the show. Well, thank you, Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline. Back after these messages. This is the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with your host Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Questions, comments, or concerns. Also, uh, you know, the cool season weeds, yes, they're already up and going. But I'm still finding some of the warm season weeds. I found the other day I was out, you know, not a whole lot, but some spurge. And I could tell by what size it was that it had just recently germinated. So this warm annual weed that normally comes up when the forsythia is in bloom, that's when, you know, or a little bit after that, that's when you put the pre-emergent down. But, I mean, still this late in the season, these warm season weeds, are germ- the seeds are germinating. I'm glad to see them because I can get rid of them and I don't have to worry about them next year. So Kathy lives in South County. Kathy, how are you today? I'm fine, thank you. Um, I've got a question about my maple tree. It has uh, what I think thought looked like little mushrooms coming off the bark, but they're real flat and they're kind of big. And there's like 17 of them at least. Uh, There's a few almost right on top of each other. And most of them are all in a clump except for a few that's off to the side. What are these and are they bad for my tree? No, basically I wouldn't worry about them. I don't know exactly specifically which one that you have there, but, you know, this is just, you know, kind of a natural occurrence with trees to have these type of things growing on the bark. And uh, so it's just, if you don't like to look at them, just take, you know, a broom or something and just knock them off. Okay. And then also that same maple tree has a lot of tips of branches, small tips, you know, Mm -hmm. but a lot that just keep coming down every day. I'm not going to even have leaves to rake if this keeps up. Is that a bad sign? I mean, it looks like they're cut off. Basically, you probably got squirrels. Well, that's what I wondered if the squirrels were doing all Especially of Especially if the, you know, if these little tips are like cut at a 45 degree angle, that is right. definitely squirrels. That's what it is. Yep. Okay. Thanks. So I don't, my, I thought my tree was maybe dying because of <laughs> whatever's on those mushrooms. Things. Okay. So that's fine. Thank you. Yep. Yeah. The squirrels are, you know, I mean, they, they do, I mean, this is nest building time for sure, but also they have to keep chewing on stuff. So whether they're chewing on acorns or anything else, you know, they got to, you can hear them up in the trees. And they're doing it because if they don't, their lower teeth are going to grow into the upper part of their mouth. And they don't want to have that happen. So the squirrels, that's exactly what they do. Speaking of squirrels, too, since this is getting very near, if you haven't planted, uh, let's say, spring flowering bulb season. And we always think that the squirrels go in and dig up the spring flowering bulbs and then take them. And that's why you never have any of them bloom. That is not true. The squirrels only dig in areas where the spring flowering bulbs are because it's easy digging. And they're digging there because they want to plant an acorn or they want to plant something else. So they don't generally, they don't have some sort of intuitive 
whatever to say, well, I'm sure there's some tulips or daffodils down there. And daffodils are poisonous, by the way, so they're not going to go after those. But so if you put bulbs in and then you don't get anything to work, you know, the following spring as far as bloom-wise or leaf-wise or anything else, it's probably because the soil was not prepared correctly and it wasn't well-drained enough. So now let's go from South County north to Florissant. And Peggy, how are you today? Good morning. I My question is, how do you kill weed trees that grow up on fences and foundations? The foundation of my house. The trees are growing on your foundation? Or just uh, ne- on next? On the side of it, really close. Yeah. And I trim them down, and they come back, and they sprout out to the side. And but- I, I know it was from not trimming. <laughs> Um, for a couple of years, but I'm trying to get on them now. How do you kill them? Basically, you can dig them if you want to. If they're small, they're fairly easy to dig. But if you don't want to fool around with that, just get some Roundup for killing, you know, woody plants. Now, it may be a little bit late in the season for this to be totally effective, but at least give it a try. And just cut them off at about six inches or so, and then, you know, paint the Roundup right on that cut, right? And make your cut at a 45-degree angle. Sounds good, and then I'll I'll do it in the spring if they start growing again. Exactly, just you might have to keep on them. And then a gentleman called, you know, a couple weeks ago, and then some one of my neighbors told me about you know Tordon. Tordon is something to you know that can be used. It's a systemic as well as just like Roundup. Uh, the thing is, you know, the gentleman that called a couple weeks ago about it, you know, he said to get rid of honeysuckle, you know, Tordon, but Tordon will kill, you know any kind of nasty woody plant materials, uh, you got to get rid of the, you know, the woody plant material even after it's dead. So, you know, whether you're cutting it off ahead of time, like I'm saying with doing, you know, then applying the Roundup, or you're putting Tordon, T-O-R-D-O-N, down around where the root system is, ultimately you're going to have to get rid of the dead sticks that are there. So one way well, or another, yeah, you've got was, some work to do. I was thinking about making a little uh, habit art piece out of them because <laughs> they're interesting looking but uh i don't know what to do with them but i will cut it down and um Try, try that. Yeah, Thank just, so I mean, put the Roundup just in a bowl and take a small paintbrush and just paint it right onto that open wound as soon as you make the cut. Sounds good. Thank you, sir. Yep. And now let's go to Michael in O'Fallon, Missouri. Hi, Michael. How are you doing? Thanks for taking my call. Sure. I have uh, three pecan trees that I planted five years ago, and they're growing quite nicely. Last year I got a good handful of pecans. The husks fell off of them. They look beautiful. This year, the husks have just turned black and have not fallen off. And when I peeled them back and got into the nut, the nut meat is all shrunken and very, very dark. And none of them are edible. What do I got? Basically, you don't have anything. The fact that the weather screwed up everything, you know, as far as on a lot of different kinds of trees... But that's exactly what it sounds like. So as, a, as the nuts were, you know, basically in the production, let's say, time for the pecan tree, things got messed up, and that's probably what happened more so than anything else. You don't have, as long as the foliage looks good, all the branches look good, and everything else looks fine, then it was just, you know, this was just a bad year for your pecan trees where they're located. 
Okay, that's good to know. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, we, you know, all of us get into, let's say, a kind of a concern when something happens like that. But if the tree looks healthy and you've had a history of, you know, production, even though they're relatively young, then uh, basically it's just this year kind of messed up lots of different things. So thanks, Michael. Now let's go down to Fenton and into Carl's yard. Hi, Carl. Good morning. How are you? And thanks for the show. I have a question. I've heard you stress several times about it's as important to uh, rich enrich your soil as it is to fertilize and put a layer of composite over the top, uh, composite over the top of it. Right. Uh, is there a certain time of the year to do that? Is it important to correlate? Would that help to settle it in? Absolutely. A coriation, if you're talking about lawn areas, that's the ideal way. Because, I mean, you can lay compost on top of your lawn and everything else and just water it in so it comes in contact with the soil. But the coriation allows, let's say, an entrance into the ground, and that's what you're doing. So you're, you're feeding your soil by putting the compost down. Now, if you just put it on the surface, yes, it can you know, percolate down, but you're going to have much more of a, let's say, a, I don't want to say a, a quicker impact, but you're just going to have, let's say, a better result if you do coriation in lawn areas before the, before you do, uh, you know, before you spread the compost. Now, I do, mm-hmm. you know, I do the same thing. I have a, an electric drill. I have a small yard, so I don't have a, you know, big, I don't need a big coriator. So if there's just certain areas, you know, we've been in the house 10 years that I was dissatisfied with, I took my, elect, you know, my electric drill with an earth auger and I just augered holes down and then filled those holes up with compost. And then, you know, I've managed to pretty much have my lawn looking fairly decent as a result of that. So, and I do the th- same thing in bed spaces too. Is there a certain time of the year to do it, or is it all right to do? I have about a 30-foot green ash tree in my yard that's getting ready to just drop tons and tons and tons of leaves. Right. So I don't want to put the compost down and then blow it all away or rake it all away with raking the leaves up. Could I wait until later, like December or late November to do that? You could, but either that or just wait until next year as we're coming out of wintertime. But usually, if you know, if you've done the coriation and everything else, you're not going to necessarily rake the compost up. You know, okay. it's. I mean, it's just the the particle size is too small. Now there may be some you know pieces that are a little bit larger, but for the most part, the compost is not going to be raked up. Okay, so you would suggest that if I'm going to do that, I would maybe wait till spring, early spring, to do that. Then yeah, you could do it then, or if you wanted to do it because the weather's nice and hot, and you really want to sweat. Less you could do it this time of year. Thank you very much for your service, and have a good day. Certainly. And now this is only if you have a cool season lawn. So, in other words, if you have zoysia, definitely don't do it this time of year. I don't have zoysia. No, okay. I don't have zoysia. I've got uh, some bluegrass and some fescue. Okay, great. So, yeah, that's a you know a fall type you know fall time or let's say next year as we're coming out of winter. Thank you very much. Yep. And now Bye. let's see. Maybe we can get one more call in before we take a break. Let's go to Bob in Creefcourt. Bob, how are you? I'm well. How are you, Mike? Good. Uh, question. Just bought a house. I don't really, haven't done any of this before. Uh, so yesterday I dethatched my lawn, and it's largely zoysia. And then on the side where I share with the neighbor, I got a good amount of fescue. After I get this all raked up, what are the next steps to make sure come spring my lawn looks good? Like what seeds should I put in there? And, uh, yeah. The area that you have the zoysia, you don't want to put any seed in. 
unless you unless you're trying to convert it over and it's getting a little bit late for you know seed germination because we don't have any idea how cold it's going to get and how quick so ideally you know the seeds should have gone down sometime late august through september now we're it's warm and everything else so hopefully if you do put seed down this late Consequently, it'll germinate, but it's not just the germination factor. It's the actually root system getting down into the ground because what happens if it doesn't get down deep enough into the soil when we start having those freezes and then it thaws and it freezes and thaws. What that does is heave root systems up out of the ground, not only of just, let's say, newly germinated seed, but also of any kind of new plant installation. So that's where the trouble is. So my tendency would be almost to wait if you're going to put seed down until next year. Okay. My one thing is the my front yard, my backyard is awesome. My backyard is a goat farm. Uh, so what, and that bear spot, is there any part I can do to really pay or just got to wait and do it on spring with more zoysia? Yeah, I would say, yeah, that's when I would do it. Because, I mean, I don't even know if there's zoysia ready or available at the garden centers anymore this season. This season. I'll I'll take some plugs out of my healthy backyard. uh, I would have a tendency not necessarily to do that, but you could. But the thing is, I would call a garden center and say, do you have zoysia for sale? If they don't have it for sale, that means the production nurseries that grow zoysia it's too late for them to cut it, so that means if you take plugs, the chances of it getting acclimated, getting its root system in, just like I was talking about with the germinating seed, it may not happen, and it may heave up, and you may have just wasted your time. Smart trick. Thank you, sir. Yep. yep. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Once again, here's Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, back to the phones we go. We're headed west into Wentzville. Barb, how are you today? Good morning, Mike. Uh, two questions. My Christmas cactus was outdoors and got thoroughly soaked. Uh, do I need to repot that, or will those roots rot before it dries out? Uh, how did it get soaked? Getting outside in huge amount of rain. <laughs> As long as you had drainage holes in it and everything else, and it was you know in the proper type of soil, then you should be fine. If you if it's if there was a problem with too much moisture, let's say the leaves or the stems, whatever you want to call them, would already be showing some wilt problems. Oh really? Well, it's only been a week or so, but it's just thoroughly, thoroughly water bogged. Uh, so it's the pot. The potting mix that's growing in is still really wet. Oh yeah. Wow. Well, we we had a lot of rain last week for right. a period of time. Uh, okay. Uh, the other question was, do I need to trim uh, wisteria back for the winter? Only do it if it's getting too aggressive because, I mean, that stuff is w- totally wild and crazy about how it grows. You yeah. don't have to prune it, but you, if you want to because you want to control the size, that's what you need to do. It won't hurt it. It's about 8 by 8 now. It's huge. Yeah, it won't. I mean, it flowers. It flowers after the new growth begins in the springtime. So I'm sure you saw a flower. You know, if it's that big, you've seen flowers on it already. But just get it pruned once the new growth begins in the early spring. You know, I'm talking about new growth as far as foliage goes. Do not prune it after that point. The new growth. I mean, if I leave it this large, the new growth will continue on from this. Absolutely. 
Mm, okay. So I <laughs> you better take about a third of it back. Yeah, I, I mean, that stuff gets huge. It can lift roofs off houses. It is really an amazing, strong vine. Pieces that have uh, re-rooted in the ground that are about like three, four feet tall, I can move those to, uh, they're easy enough to transplant. As long as you're getting, you know, adequate root system with it, so yes. Okay. So okay. if you don't get the roots with it, no. Okay. Thank you very much. Yep. And now let's go, Wentzville, the Festus, into Carol's yard. Yes, Mike. Um, I have an amaryllis. Uh, it bloomed twice last year, and then it started growing just leaves. They would get two and three feet high and fall over. Now, do I um, cut them back, or what do I do? Basically, you know, if you want it to bloom again, I, I'm assuming it has leaves on it right now, correct? It has one, well, it had one real tall, fell over again. Yeah. It was basically dormant during the summer. Yeah, they, you know, I mean, they're in the basement, you know. So, you, oh, it leaves again. Wow. So, ba- what, you know, usually what happens is you let it grow through the entire summertime outside or inside. Yes, the leaves will flop over because they get, you know, really long. And especially if you had it in the basement, they're going to flop over. But you know, they're g- going to do it, have a tendency to do it anyway if they're outside. And then what you do is this time of year, you chop all the leaves off, you bring it inside, you don't water it, you don't do anything to it. And then in about uh, two months or two and a half months or so, then you'll see a flower stalk come out and start coming out of the bulb. Do I put it in a darker place? or? Well, I mean, you can do that. I would just not, you know, once you cut the foliage off, you know, don't put it in a bright, sunny window. But if you want to, you know, since you already have it in the basement, I'm assuming it's dark, just leave it down there after you cut the foliage off. And uh, then in about uh, a couple, you'll start to see, you know, the flower stalk coming out of the center of the bulb, like I said, and then bring mm-hmm. it upstairs and then start watering it and fertilizing it and everything. Otherwise, just keep cutting these leaves off when they keep growing. Well, yeah, or that, or just, you know, next year put it outside or put it in the sunny windows because the leaves will have a tendency not to elongate quite so much and mm-hmm. bend over. Yeah, it had sun coming in the window in the basement uh, some this okay. summer. But, uh, yeah, okay. So just be patient then, huh? Exactly. <laughs> All right, Mike. Thank you very much. Certainly. And if you get disgusted, then just go buy another amaryllis. No. <laughs> uh, Lisa? Alicia. Alicia from Salem, Illinois. Alicia, how are you? I'm good. How are you? Very good. Um, rose bushes and lilac bush. When can I move them? Move them? Uh, basically, uh, I wouldn't do either one this time of year. Okay. If it was a little bit earlier, yes, but uh, because they're, you know, I would just wait until it would come out of wintertime. Okay. And with the lilac, I would, you know, my tendency would be uh, to do it uh, probably between Valentine's Day and uh, Ides of March. Then you get it in the new location, then it's got, you know, about a month or so before it's going to start flowering. And the roses, once we come out of, you know, transplanting roses this time of year is not the ideal thing. They're, you know, even if they're for sale in the garden centers, it's not even, you know, to plant new roses that have been grown in pots. This is not the best time of year to do it. So, again, I'd wait for both of them until we come out of wintertime. Okay. And then one more. I have, are you familiar with the Baton Rouge bush or plant? Mm -mm. No, never heard of Baton Rouge, like Baton Rouge, Louisiana? 
Yeah, yeah. It's it's just all green. It blooms in the spring. It's got white, real tiny white blooms. Really pretty. Gets pretty tall. Um, and then in the fall winter, the stalks turn all red, like red stick, which means Baton Rouge. Um, well, they're not red yet, and I'm just if you're not familiar, I was just thinking it's probably dying, but I don't know. I guess there's time still time to tell. Oh yeah, I mean, a lot of things are not changing colors yet. So, I'm assuming it's, you know, a dormant type thing, so I wouldn't worry, you know, I wouldn't worry too much about it. Okay. All right. That's all I got. All right. All right, thanks so much. Certainly. And now let's go to Rock Hill. Don, how is your yard? Uh, that's a good question, Mike. Uh, <laughs> I had a lawn renovation. Uh, had some seed put down on bare soil. Uh, no fertilizer or amendments. Uh, the seed was put down on the 14th of September, and it's come up fairly well. Uh, but I do have some bare spots. Uh, I was just wondering, uh, since it doesn't have any fertilizer, um, and what can I do with those bare spots? Is there still time to kind of overseed? It's kind of late for the overseeding. It's a roll of the dice. It may work as far as I, you know, as I told another caller, the seed may germinate and everything else, but if the root system doesn't get deep enough into the ground and we have that freeze-thaw freeze cycle, yeah. then it could heave it up out of the ground, and then it's, you know, you've kind of wasted your money. But with the, with the existing stuff that's already germinating and growing, you could use a, I mean, you still, even though it's, you know, you could put a seed starter fertilizer down no. on it if you wanted to, uh, or you could do a even 12, a you could 12, do a winterizer type. What about a twelve twelve twelve? No, no, no. Triple okay. twelve is the worst thing. We we continue to use that because it's cheap, but it's really developed for one season type growth, and you don't necessarily need you know that kind of let's say nutrient level. You know, basically the three numbers are nitrogen, phosphorus, and potassium. So you don't necessarily need that, and you don't want to just put that down. It may be a little bit too, let's say, I don't want to say toxic, but it may be a little bit too strong for this time of year. So, you know, with the uh, starter fertilizer, usually you have the three numbers. Right. Uh, sometimes with the winterizer, it's only high in nitrogen, isn't it? Uh, basically, not necessarily. It just depends upon what type of winterizer it is. So, but the nitrogen only stays in the soil for about three days or four days after it's put down. Then it becomes a gas and goes up in the air. So the plants would grab it as much as they needed, and then that would be it. Uh, what about uh, putting compost on the weak spots? Does that help any? Or uh, if there's areas where there's no, you know, nothing growing, if you mix a compost in with the ground, yes. But just to lay it on top of the ground, that's not going to make a whole lot of difference. Okay, so it's a kind of a crapshoot then as far as what I'm going to do then. So. Yeah, exactly, because we're at kind of that really weird year with the heat and everything else. And, you know, I mean, normally things should have been done a little bit prior to this. Like when you had the seed put down, the spots that didn't germinate you know, or didn't get any grass to come up in it. It's with anytime you put seed down over barriers, bare areas, you're going to have to probably put it down a couple times, you know, a couple yeah. more years, every May and every September, to get it so it's going to be thick long. No, I'm just trying to get it so it's stabilized to going into the winter and right. work on it in the spring. So. Yeah. Thank you, Mike. Certainly. And let's see, we probably should take a break. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages. This is the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with your host, Mike Miller, on KMOX. 
Yes, folks, we've got about 10 minutes of the Garden Hotline left. And at 10 o'clock, Investing Sense with Andy Smith and Bob Richards. 11 o'clock, the Helitech Foundation Repair Home Improvement Show. And Greg Damon's hosting with uh, David Flory from Mosby Building Arts. 1 o'clock, Rick Edelman's show. And 3 o'clock, the Business of Family Business. 4 o'clock, Health Matters, presented by SSM Health with Fred Bottomore. Sir, all kinds of different things here on KMOX. Susan lives in South County. Susan, how are you? I'm just fine, but I got a big problem, and Uh-oh. I need to ask you one question. My front yard, which is a terrace, it goes down, uh, just suffered terribly this summer. I've got weeds. I had fungus. I put a fungicide on it, and I got bare spots. I have put in grass seed, and it is coming up right now. But I haven't been able to take care of it the way I like, so I called in a landscaping service. They said they can completely take everything out of this yard and resod it with the fescue grass. Mm-hmm. Is it, it? It's quite pricey. It's is. Is it too late to do that? Not put sod down. No, it's not too late for that. It's too late maybe for seed. But sodding, you you still have quite a considerable amount of time. I would think probably if once we get past Halloween or let's say de- weather dependent early November, I wouldn't you know I would it would be a little bit more iffy for the sod. But your sod should be fine, especially if they they're preparing the soil ahead of time and everything else. Yeah, they're going to put water, take everything off, and then what dirt because I just haven't been able and I think in South County somebody put seeds all over the place out here and that fungicide uh, you know and I put a fungicide on it but I'm not capable to take care of it I'm getting elderly right and what what my backyard is big and it's what 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 should I do for a winter riser on that as as far as you can you mean you have lawn back there is that what you're saying oh yeah it's not it's not affected like this one is okay basically just get a winterizer type fertilizer and have it put down okay i'll put that down uh uh so also my neighbor uh he swears that the people who mow my grass because i can't mow this i'm elderly uh cut it too short is would would that have contributed to all this it certainly could. As people that scalp their lawns, that just sets up a scenario for weed invasions and all kinds of other problems potentially too. So I can you know, I keep harping on you know, cool, even cool season lawns, you know, in the heat of the summertime, they should not be cut any closer than let's say three and a half or four inches. And the zoys, a lot of people scalp them down to one to one and a half inches, and that just it ruins them because of what happens is a crown where the root systems. And the grass blades meet, that's where the, more or less the brains and the growth center is, is exposed to the sun. Then it can get sunburned and virtually it kills off, you know, the grass. Yeah. Well, they say they got it set at the very top of on their lawnmower. Then the they, you top. need to get another lawn service. Okay. Because uh, that's what I said. Because this is going to be quite pricey if I have this sodding done, right. you know. So you don't want to have it. anything should not be scalped. No grass blades at any time of year except zoysia. When we're coming out of wintertime, you set your mower blade down to about two inches so you can get all the th- thatch and all the dead brown stuff off of it. But the rest of the year, no grass blades should be cut any shorter than three inches. Okay. That's, well, that's what he said. He said, if you spend, my neighbor said, if you spend this kind of money to do this. I did get it aerated in the spring, but it didn't help. Right. You know. And uh, so, anyway, well, that's what I need. I can still do this. Yes. Okay. Sodding is fine. 
So thanks, wow. Susan. And now let's stay in South County to save some gas. And Lynn, how are you today? Uh, doing well. Uh, got a watering. Uh, I need some watering information. It was uh, the lawn was core aerated and overseeded yesterday. I have about a twenty by twenty section where I was. Uh, I had started raking for some reason to well to pull some clippings off of a from a bush that I trimmed. Anyway, the turf came with it. If there was a lot of uh, uh, grub worms under there. So I had it treated for the grub worms. I started watering about three days uh, prior to them core aerating because it was so dry. And now that it's overseeded and everything and core aerated, especially that bare spot, uh, should I, and they say keep it moist, what does that actually mean? Should I go out? To, they, yesterday, after they left, I watered every section 40 to 60 minutes. Now, this morning, I go, went out there and put the sprinkler out, and especially in the section where the bare spot was, it just looks like it was too much water puddling up, and it is on an incline, so I don't want to wash it down. So, yeah, and plus the leaves falling on the new areas. Do I pull those leaves off or just leave? It'll germinate with the leaves on top. If the leaves are not thick, you should be okay as far as germinating. But if you, if so many leaves fall that you cannot see your, let's say the ground or where the seed is or anything else, that's too thick. You got to get those leaves off there. So either using a blower or whatever you have to use. And you know, you, an hour is a little bit too much watering, especially for newly seeded areas. Probably 15 or 20 minutes, maybe two times a day, depending upon whether or something else should be adequate. So put a sprinkler out uh, and just don't try to stay out there and uh, just go over all areas and keep them moist. You right. still need to put the sprinkler out for about 20 minutes a day. Yes, once or twice a day, depending upon wind, depending upon temperatures. Got it. I think, uh, and I'm kind of in a between a rock and a hard place because <laughs> neither one of my neighbors do anything to their yards, and I'm their weeds just creep keep creeping over, and I right. do the best I can. So, okay, thank you very much, yep. Mike. I appreciate it. And Ronald is in North County. Ronald, I think you're going to be our last call. Good morning, Mike. Thank you for taking my call. Sure. Uh, I've heard you say that you are a uh, fun lover for uh, potato vines, sweet potato vines. Right. Tell me, uh, do they come in various, uh, uh, some of them I see have larger leaves than others. Very much, yes, very much so. I have one that's purple, but it flowers a lot, and that leaf is probably only about, uh, oh, maybe an inch to an inch and a half across. And then I have some that are variegated, some that are chartreuse, and some that are other, you know, other colors as well, that the leaves may be four inches across. So, yeah, they're different sizes. Yeah, see, I like the, the, the light green, you know what I'm saying? Right. But it looked like in commercial places, the leaves are larger than the ones I have. I got the ones that you get out of a nursery. It's got the small leaves. And uh, I was just wondering, do one hold up better than the other? No, I don't think there's any difference, to be honest with you. So, uh, you know, so like I said, I have the small you know, purple ones right now by the back door. Then I yeah. have the other ones by the front door. And 
small and large both. So anyway, thanks, Ronald. And sorry, George and B, we're not going to be able to get to you today. Everybody just get out there and keep watering and watch your landscape. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline. I will see you next week. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.